Good morning, afternoon, and evening. Welcome to episode 12 of the 8311 cast featuring your hosts, Mike Ludwig, Kyle Mersch, and Wyatt Teeter. Today we're going to be going over some uh, college football, college basketball, our weekly Who's Pissed Off segment this week, some uh, thoughts on the NFL, Mike's stupid rules, and concluding our episode with the Ride That Down predictions. Mike, do you want to get us started in the cyclone, uh, the cyclone game that happened in the college football this week? Yep. So uh, if you listened to our uh, our special uh, bowl preview episode or special that uh, that we had earlier this week, or you know if you just pay attention at all, you would know that the uh, Cyclones went to the uh, Alamo Bowl down in San Antonio. Had that game on Friday. They took on uh, Washington State, and our Cyclones did fall to Washington State, twenty six to twenty eight, in regulation. Um, it was a very competitive game. It came down to the last possession, really, when the uh, when uh, we failed a two point. The Cyclones failed a two point conversion after uh, scoring a touchdown late in the fourth quarter, so we were not able to uh, not able to knock off Washington State in the Alamo Bowl. But it was it was an incredibly competitive game. It was a really fun game to. Uh, it was a really fun game to watch. Just the environment down there in the Alamo Dome was incredible. The Cyclone fans really turned out to uh, to support the Cyclones down there in San Antonio. And it was a really inter- it was a rough start to the game for uh, Brock Purdy. The offense did not get off to a good start, as uh, Brock Purdy himself ended up uh, throwing two first quarter interceptions. I know there was some talk. Um, coming at the end of that first quarter, late second quarter before they led that uh, touchdown drive, that uh, we were talking if Brock Purdy would get benched in the second half for Kyle Kemp. So he had a really rough start to that game. But he came back, he ended up with 315 passing yards, and he overall played a really good game outside those first two uh, interceptions. I think that first interception was completely on him. He was staring down his receiver and allowed the the cornerback for the underneath route was drifting off his man, undercut, the uh, deeper, the deeper uh, crossing route and picked that ball off. The second interception, I think, was more on Hakeem Butler than it was on Brock Purdy. Hakeem Butler drifted probably a yard too far back in the uh, in the into the zone, so into the soft spot in the zone. He was too far back, and then he didn't go aggressively after the ball as well, and allowed the corner to outmuscle him for the ball. So I think the first one was on Purdy for sure. The second one, maybe not quite as much on him, but either way, it was two interceptions, and that along with a uh, along with a fumble by uh, by David Montgomery in the uh, fourth quarter that led to another Washington State touchdown is really what uh, what did the Cyclones in. It was tough to uh, it was tough to see just so many uh, self inflicted injuries. We had seven false starts against the. Uh, defensive line stunts of Washington State as well. And there were just some, some details, some things you don't normally see the cyclone the cyclones do that uh that got under us and uh and hurt us this game. What do you think, Kyle? What are your thoughts on the uh Alamo Bowl loss? Well obviously the details were the big mistake. And for a coaching staff that usually prides itself in having the details ironed out before any game going into the game with great planning um i think there was a lack of 
lack of really hitting the details going into this game. Um, I was overall impressed with the way that the defense played. There were some, uh, there was still some offense that Wazoo was able to manage, but we were able to hold um, Wazoo to around 150 yards below their average um, total offense for the season per game, and we held them under their point per game average as well. Obviously, we gave them two short fields that allowed them to score two touchdowns, which didn't help, but uh, for a while, the defense really held its own, and during the game, I made the comment that our offense needed to sustain drives in the second half, otherwise our defense was going to be worn out. Well, our offense was able to sustain drives in the second half, it's just a lot of the drives ended with crucial mistakes. Offensive false starts that pushed a, put us behind the sticks, and then we weren't able to recover from those. Um, there was one play in the game where Hakeem Butler was missed wide open in the end zone, which... That was, would, that was the two-point conversion, wasn't two it? Two-point conversion, yeah. Yeah, which, the Butler was open in the end zone, and Purdy didn't find him. Which would have tied the game. And obviously <laughs> another detail, uh, the kicking... Um, we lost by two points and there's a lot of what ifs. If we had made that kick, we theoretically could have won the game, uh, by one, but at that point the game might've been played differently by Wazoo. Um, so we don't know if that would have for sure won us the game, but obviously that field goal kick from Asali off the uprights didn't help, didn't go a long way in helping us win that game. Um, because obviously if we had that, we would have had a one point advantage in the end. Um, it's just, it was just underwhelming to see, uh, how the coaching staff didn't manage to get us as prepared for the game as I thought we were going to be. Brock Purdy did a lot, but I still think he's doing too much. Obviously that comes with hit with a lot of youth and him not having experience, I think he was overwhelmed to start the game, which is why he started out with those two interceptions, um, which I thought were pretty uncharacteristic of him to start a football game, but he was able to rebound very well, putting up the 315 yards passing, and he also had um, quite a few scrambles and rollouts to help extend plays that did a lot for the offense. I just think he needs... After this year, under his belt, he's going to come back as a much better player next year. It's just how will the offensive pieces line up around him, which we'll get into a little bit later um, for the next season. But there were a few officiating plays that were really questionable. And one thing that was noticed a lot. We'll get into the targeting, obviously, but one of the plays that I saw a lot of on Twitter being reviewed was the um, false start by Washington State's offensive line that led to them getting a touchdown um, in the game, and it was a clear miss miss call by the officiating crew, and it allowed one of Iowa State's defensive linemen to get off the line and beat the offensive lineman who did false start. But in the end, was that the play that resulted in Minshew scrambling for the touchdown? 
no, that was the one. That was the one at the uh, end of the first half, where he uh, threw it had the uh, great uh, toe tap catch in the back of the end zone. Oh, okay. On the uh, on the Iowa State band side of the stadium there. And I thought there was another time where I saw a false start that wasn't called, but it just seemed like the the officiating crew was always catching the Iowa State false starts, but not being aware of the Washington State false starts. So that's up for debate, but the... They were missing calls all over the place, though. They weren't just missing calls on Washington State. There was at least two holding calls they missed on Iowa State as well. One of them we committed in our own end zone, which if they would have caught that would have resulted in a safety, putting us at the end at a four-point deficit rather than a two-point deficit, right? I mean, I don't think they... They miss calls all over the place, but I think that's just the nature of being an official. Generally, people don't catch a lot of those missed calls because they, they don't matter as much, but I... I I don't think they were being one-sided on the their missed calls or the calls that, that they were making. We turned the ball over three just, times, just, and you turn the, the ball over fell. three times, you don't deserve to win a football game of that magnitude. Especially when you turn another team over only once. Right, especially when right when this team, right, and Coach Campbell has said this throughout the year, this Iowa State team is, is really good, but they're not, they're not as talented as some of these best teams in the nation, right? Teams like, Oklahoma, Washington State, right? We, we're really good, but we don't have as much talent as them. We can compete with them because we play our game the right way. And the way Iowa State plays football, they play as a team without turning the ball over and without taking dumb penalties. And like you were saying earlier, Kyle, we turned the ball over three times. We false started seven times. It's those things that a team that doesn't quite have as much talent like Iowa State uh, does, lacking a little bit more talent, that mistakes that just can't make if you want to win a big football game against one of the uh, one of the top teams in the nation, which Washington State absolutely is one of the top teams in the nation. There's no doubt about that. So, yeah, in the end, it just came down to those turnovers for me. The sequence that really, uh, really I think, summed up the game was in the fourth quarter when uh, David Montgomery fumbled the ball on our own 30-yard line. I think it's only the second time in his career he's lost a fumble the other one being in the Liberty Bowl last year. And then it goes, and a couple plays later on a big third down, Daquan Bailey has has Minshew in his arms, and uh, he manages to escape. And Bailey missing a sack also doesn't happen very often. I feel like the combination of those two things just kind of summed up the way that the game went for Iowa State with uh, with just missing on the plays that we normally convert on. That uh, just didn't work out well for us at the game on Friday. But the real question now as we move into the offseason for uh, Iowa State football is there's really two big players and our two two biggest offensive weapons have to decide whether or not they're going to uh, stay at Iowa State for one more year or if they're going to uh, forego their senior seasons and head for the uh, NFL draft. And those two players are uh, David Montgomery and Akeem Butler. They both have this decision coming up here within the next uh, two weeks, two or three weeks for sure. We'll probably hear about it to see what uh, what they got. I'm not sure. Uh, what do you think, Kyle? What is your take on Montgomery and Butler and if they stay or if they go? Uh, it's, I mean... My guess is as good as anybody. 
there was obviously a report um, that Hakeem Butler had to play through the entire bowl game um, with a report that came out that said he had basically already declared for the NFL draft. Um, and he came out and said that that is not true. But I think if anybody is to leave, I think it would be Butler going pro. He had a fantastic. He had a fantastic yeah. game. In the nine, catches, game. He had nine catches. One ninety four. He had a with that incredible one handed catch down the down the middle of the field with a guy draped mm-hmm. all over him. It. He's he is the build that every NFL team is looking for for a top wideout. And there's plenty of teams who need a top wideout like Butler. What he's six five? Six 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 with a seven foot wingspan, yeah. yeah. It, his catch radius is gigantic. And And he's got those hands that can haul in the ball one handed like you saw him do yeah. multiple times. It, and he's he's put up record numbers for Iowa State this year and I the only reason I see him coming back is him having a bitter taste in his mouth that this bowl game didn't go as he thought it should have and he if he does in fact want to be um in the record books even more at Iowa State I'm not sure um I do think the better chance of coming back is David Montgomery I do think that he wants to be there for the long haul and I kind of think he has the one who has more to prove than Butler does right now I'm not sure David Montgomery is going to be super ecstatic with his draft placement I would looking at projections it obviously depends on how well he performs for scouts during the offseason if he did do workouts if he did decide to go pro but I think he wouldn't go until maybe the third or fourth round where Hakeem Butler has a chance to go late first, mid like early mid second round um in the draft. So I think if anybody were to go, it would be Hakeem. Obviously, David Montgomery did has the issue of wondering if he will get hurt during the next season, um, if that would hurt his draft status, but it's just a toss up at this point. I can't I'm not in their heads. I don't know what they're going to do that's just my take yeah for sure i don't know what they're uh what they're going to do either but i think that uh it's going to be interesting i think that unfortunately like you're saying with being that montgomery's more likely to stay and butler more likely to go the one that's more important for the cyclones to have stay i think would definitely be butler because uh in our recruiting class that coach campbell has here he's got two four-star running backs coming in in this recruiting class that would be a great compliment to Montgomery obviously if he stayed but would probably be able to do pretty good filling in his shoes should Montgomery leave so I feel like as far as for this team's performance next year it would be more important for uh for us having Butler around to anchor that wide receiver core and continue to be the security blanket that he was for Brock Purdy this year continue to be that form going into next year than it would be to uh keep Montgomery around since he would still have since we'd still have two four star running backs in the backfield that would be able to uh hopefully take most, if not all, of that production from David Montgomery back and keep it going. Personally, again, like Kyle said, we're not in their heads, we don't know. I think that they're probably 
I think that they probably should both go pro. I think they should. I'm not sure if they will. I think they've proven all they can here while in college. And I won't think any less of them in any way if they decide to to go pro, right? They've done great things for Iowa State. They need to think about themselves, their families, and their future. And if they right start making money playing football, doing the things they are, uh, doing the things they love to do like that. So I would not fault them in any way if they decided to go pro. I think they both should. Again, I'm not sure if they will. If they feel like they owe something to the. Uh, to the university still, or if they, uh, if they just think that they, they want, they got more to prove. They think that they want to be part of something here at Iowa State, and they want to prove that they can maybe go win a Big Twelve championship or something like that. They could stay, but I think they should go and go uh, start to make money doing what they do here for a correction in the NFL on something you did say earlier. Iowa State only has one four-star running back in this recruiting class, and that is Jarrell. Oh, did the other Rock. one get downgraded? Hall, uh, grades in as a three-star. He's an 88% Ooh, I... overall composite, according to 24-7. I had him. Um, Ooh, okay. I thought I saw somewhere he was a four-star. They're, well, they're both, the, they're both top ten running backs in this draft class. Jarrell Brock uh-huh. uh, ranks in at number nine, and Brees Hall ranks in at number ten. Um, but just okay. I want to segue into just talking about this um, this recruiting class for a little bit. Where mm-hmm. do you think um, this six six two twenty mammoth quarterback from Kansas will fit into our system now that we have Brock Purdy pretty well cemented as Iowa State's quarterback going into next year? Yeah, I really don't know what the uh, what the plan is going to be with that. I mean, we can wedge we can redshirt him for next year, right? And that. Uh, and that would knock off one of the, uh, and that would be one more of Purdy's years here at Iowa State. But he, I mean, I would just have him learn under Purdy, right? Purdy's obviously uh, been really been did really well as our quarterback this year. He's obviously going to have the reins uh, at the start of next season, so it will be uh, it will be Purdy's team. I think we'll redshirt the uh, the uh, quarterback from Kansas. For a year, unless obviously unless something happens to uh, to Brock Purdy and we need him to step up here, and if the typical Iowa State thing happens and either Purdy struggles or that he would uh, get hurt, just like Kemp's did this year, I mean we could have to call on him to uh, to help us out and hopefully get some uh, get some playing time out of him. But I think that he should just be under Purdy, getting mentored by by Brock Purdy to hopefully uh to hopefully uh get better so that when his time comes after Purdy leaves after two more or three more years that this guy will be ready to step in and maybe be on our next quarterback after after uh after Brock Purdy this Easton Dean is his name and just some more uh of just I guess my thoughts on this recruiting class um Obviously, we can see the areas that Iowa State is targeting with the um, thought that Montgomery and Butler are would turn pro after this season. Obviously, we touched on the two running backs, uh, which I think would be a two-headed monster um, going into Big 12 play with uh, Jareel Brock um, being a really great pass-catching back, 
um, but Brees Hall being an impressive runner, as he showed um, in the state of Kansas. Um, but the wide receivers coming in are big. We have, as signed right now from Bentendorf, Darian Porter, who's 6'4", 180, who is obviously tall, but then there's Ezra Anderson, who's 6'5", 210, working on the outside. So I think there's obviously young talent. Obviously, it would be great to have um, those two back, but the rest of the recruiting class um, is trying to fill holes in our offensive line that we're going to have with the addition of Grant Treber, a 6'6", 295 offensive tackle, and Jared Hooford, a 6'5", 300-pound offensive tackle, who are going to help um, create holes for those running backs, as well as just a lot of help on the defense in order to um, just build upon what this defense has done and to help it become and maintain its um, superiority for defense for Iowa State defense in the Big 12 going forward. Yeah, I think this is a very good uh, very good recruiting class for Coach Campbell. I think that uh, he's continuing to do good things here recruiting, and I think the future is going to continue to be bright for Iowa State, uh, regardless of if Butler or Montgomery stay here at Iowa State. So besides the Cyclones Bowl game, there was the uh, college football playoff games that happened on Saturday as well. And frankly, neither of those games were competitive. Clemson, I, what was it, 30-3 to the final yeah. against Notre Dame? Not, not close. They just trounced them. That game wasn't close. And Alabama jumped out to a 21-0 first quarter lead on Oklahoma. And there never really was much doubt into what the result of that game would be either. Just two completely non, really non-competitive games in the college football playoff. Really calls into question both, one, the committee's choices, whether Ohio State and Notre Dame were the correct teams to choose, and B, just the process in general. Right, if those two teams were so good, that why did it even matter, right? Now those two teams, uh, Alabama and Clemson, will square off here. What is it, a week from... A week from this Monday, so the 7th of January, yeah, I think it is. I think it's the 7th of January, and Clem- this is the fourth year in a row, I believe, that they're squaring off, in the at least in the playoffs. I don't playoff, know, is it those two teams? Right? Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Not necessarily in the championship, but I think it's the fourth year right. in a row they've, they've faced in the playoff, which just goes to show that there's a great disparity between them and the rest of college football in terms of talent and coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree for sure that those two have been by far the best teams in the leagues, or in, in, the, in the NCAA for football over the, last, uh, over the last five years or so, and I think that it's going to be... Uh, I think that it's going to be an interesting game, but personally, I think uh, that Alabama is going to win. I think their combina- their defense is just too good. Their combination of offense and defense won't be able to be uh, to be stopped by uh, by uh, Clemson. What about you, Kyle? What's your, um, what's your I think it's going to be gonna a lot closer game? of a game than any of the semifinals were. Um, I do believe yeah, that for sure. I would agree. Uh, it's gonna be Clemson's competitive. young quarterback, young freshman quarterback, will be able to keep it close. He obviously showed um, 
an incredible amount of poise in the semifinal game. Um, I just I just think Alabama is going to overwhelm. Um, the dynasty rolls on for Alabama. Um, it's it, it's just remarkable what Nick Saban has been able to do there. And until Nick Saban uh, is no longer the head coach at Alabama, Alabama will continue to be in the college football playoff for the foreseeable future. They just might as well put them in there in the rankings every single year in the top four. Yeah. So we'll have to see how that uh, that game turns out here when it happens and see uh, whether Alabama's going to win their second consecutive national title or if Clemson can knock them off here and uh, get get a national championship for themselves. So we're now getting ready to uh, start the uh, conference season for college basketball. So now is really when college basketball starts to get interesting. Both the uh, Cyclones men's basketball team and the Cyclones women's basketball team finished 10-2 uh, and two in their non-conference seasons. So the, uh, the men technically still have one conference game left in the uh, Big 12 SEC Challenge coming up. They'll play Old Miss in, a few, I don't know when, sometime in the middle of conference play. It's the play. middle of conference play. It's in late yeah. February. Yep, so both the Cyclone men and women are coming off very strong uh, conference seasons. Uh, I don't believe either of those teams have losses at home. Am I correct about that? Did the Cyclone men lose at home? They did not. They lost in Maui, and then they lost in Iowa City. Yep, and the Cyclone women lost at South Dakota and then in Iowa City. So neither of those teams have lost at Hilton Coliseum this year. I think those teams, at least the women, are really playing well, playing uh, playing well as a team, starting to gel like that. And I think it could be a big year for uh, for the Iowa State women's basketball team. I expect them to break into the uh, top 25 rankings for the second time this year again when they come out this week. Uh, there were a couple of losses on the lower end of the top 25 that uh, should leave opportunities for Iowa State top into the top 25 here for the women. And I think it'll be really interesting to see so Texas and Baylor, as far as women's basketball are concerned, are the best teams in the Big 12 for sure. But outside of those two teams, this uh, the conference is uh, definitely a lot more wide open. And I could see uh, I could see Iowa State coming in and finding a way to uh, be the third or fourth best team in the Big 12 for women's basketball this year. I think that would be... Uh, that would be not that unreasonable to think that they would be able to uh, to finish top, not nah, to finish like third in the conference this year, because outside of uh, Baylor and Texas, the Big Twelve is not great for basketball this year. What do you think about the Cyclone men, Kyle? What does you think the Big Twelve looks like for them? Uh, I think all roads are obviously going to lead through Kansas. Um, the other tough test is going to be Texas Tech. Outside of that, um, it's there's going to be a few games in the year that are going to be toss-ups when the men play in Manhattan, um, when they go on the road to, I guess, Norman, since Oklahoma's been playing decent, when they go on the road to Morgantown. Obviously, the road games are going to be tough, but I think they're going to defend themselves very well at home in Hilton Coliseum. It'll be an interesting game on January 5th when the Jayhawks come to town. I am still pissed at the Big 12 for scheduling that game when they did when classes are not in session. 
um, but that is not for here or for now. Uh, I might rant about it in our next episode. But they, the Cyclone men will have a very good season, obviously with Lindell Wigington and uh, Solomon Young being back. It's really starting to help get the morale of the team back up. Uh, Lindell Wigington did tweet today that he is feeling very good and is ready to tackle conference play. Um, So I believe that Iowa State is going to finish probably in the top four. Looking at the other teams, I think in the top at least three. Uh, My current prediction is it'll be KU, Texas Tech, and Iowa State in no particular order. But I do believe KU is probably going to win the Big 12 um, for the men again. Um, I do believe Iowa State's going to have a good year, and right now I think their only uh, their only challenge is really going to be those top top two teams play and our road games as well. Right now, the Joe Lenardi has them predicted as the eight seed in the tournament. I predict that that will go up as the season goes along. I think this could be a five to six seed team going into the NCAA tournament come the end of the season. That'd be that'd be pretty good. Uh, that'd be good to see in what probably would be Wigington's last year to see them get a good seed in the tournament here. Hopefully uh, hopefully make some noise, make a sweet 16, and uh, give us some fun basketball to watch. And it would be also, much comes it'd also be very good for the youth of the team with getting Taylor Horton Tucker as well as Therese Halliburton those, that experience in the tournament so that they can be the leaders of this team in the future for sure for sure this the uh cyclone basketball team certainly has me uh excited both the men and the women have me excited about where they're going here for this year but there's something that absolutely does not have me excited and uh i am the person who is pissed off this week and what i am pissed off about this week is the performance of the minnesota vikings on sunday against the chicago bears That was absolutely an embarrassment. The Vikings came out with this season on the line with everything to play for, a playoff berth. All they had to do was beat the Bears. The Bears are good. Don't get me wrong. The Bears are a really good team. I expect them to uh, beat the Eagles in their first playoff game coming up this next weekend. But the Vikings had to beat a Bears team that really didn't have a whole whole lot to play for. They had to come out. They came out absolutely flat. The offense didn't manage a first down until midway through the second quarter. They couldn't. The offense couldn't put anything together against the Bears' defense. The Bears converted like six, like two thirds of their third downs went on offense. It was just an utterly uninspired performance. They looked like they didn't want to be there, and I was. I I couldn't understand what I was watching. It looked like the team. It's the same type of team that came out against the Bills earlier in the season and the Seahawks, and it just looked like a team that did not want to be there. Period. And I don't get it. But you had everything to play for. You, 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 you got a taste of the playoffs last year. This whole team got that taste of the playoffs. And apparently they just decided they didn't want it again because they came out and played like they didn't care. They came out and played like they didn't want to come play next week. They wanted to go home and sit in their houses with their families and watch the playoffs on TV. They didn't look like they wanted to be in the playoffs. And frankly, with the way they played this year, they didn't deserve to be in the playoffs. I was just... I, yeah, I'm just super frustrated at at the way the players played and about how Zimmer got absolutely outcoached by Matt Nagy today. It was not even close. He uh, absolutely destroyed them. Co- absolutely destroyed Zimmer coaching 
I don't know what uh, the Vikings are going to have to do on the coaching front, but Zuma got absolutely outcoached today, and the Vikings just came out and looked like they didn't want to be there in a game that was essentially a playoff game for them. And uh, they'll be watching the playoffs at home come uh, next Saturday and Sunday. Speaking of the uh, playoffs, the field is now set. In the AFC, they've got uh, one seed Kansas City Chiefs, the two seed New England Patriots, the three seed Houston Texans, the four seed Baltimore Ravens, the five seed uh, Los Angeles Chargers, I almost said San Diego Chargers there, not San Diego anymore, and the uh, six seed Indianapolis Colts. And in the NFC, the one seed is the New Orleans Saints, two the Los Angeles Rams, not the St. Louis Rams. Three seed is the Chicago Bears, the four seed is the Dallas Cowboys, the five seed is the Seahawks, and the six seed is the Eagles. Kyle, what do you think about uh, how the playoff field shook out here on the last week of the season? I mean, the only the only really surprise that I saw coming was that, well, that the Ravens made it over the Steelers, one. Um, the Steelers, before when they went on their midseason losing streak, they they shot themselves in the foot because that's when Lamar Jackson came in and ended up going six and one in his final seven games in his first seven games in the NFL as a starter. And he, he just played the Ravens into the playoffs. And the Steelers really just collapsed and they had a chance to um, be a wild card or had a chance for the four seed. Um, and they blew it, but the only, the other surprise is the Colts. The Colts started what? Oh, and three. And then I think they started one and five or something. And, five, and they yeah, ended up was finishing a, 10 and six start for Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. And now they find themselves, mm-hmm. themselves into the playoffs. Andrew Luck, he, he's the runaway candidate for, um, comeback player of the year. Oh, oh absolutely. He, he should absolutely. win that for the, for the AFC. And, He's just played phenomenal. He's played lights out for Indianapolis. Their defense is good. Um, uh, what's the name of that their their uh, rookie tackler um, who uh, has the most tackles the in the head, league? Yeah, I know. And got yeah. snubbed yep. from the Pro Bowl. Yeah, yep. um, I think he set a record for 163 tackles this season, which is he's a mm-hmm. rookie. It's incredible. Um, they have offensive weapons. Marlon Mack has emerged. Eric Ebron, a once over like oversight in Detroit, never playing, well playing but never getting any uh, receptions or touchdowns, has almost as many touchdowns as Tyreek Hill in one of the most explosive offenses in the NFL. And T.Y. Hilton is one of the game's great receivers. I and I just think they're going to make a good run in the playoffs. I think that the Colts could go into Houston and knock off the Texans. I also believe that the Chargers are going to knock off the Ravens because um, I think Phillip Rivers is going to get revenge after their week 16 loss, week 15 loss, week 15 loss to the Ravens. So we'll see what happens in the NFC. Obviously the surprise is the Eagles, uh, making it, but Nick Foles has played phenomenal. I, I don't think anybody wants to really, really wants to play the Eagles right now, the way Nick Foles is playing. Um, he did leave the game uh, 
with an injury, but they expect him to be ready to go for the wild card round. Um, so with this setup, who who do you think will who do you think will be in the divisional round for the AFC and the NFC? I think I see. Uh, I think I see Houston knocking off the Colts. I think they've been a great story and they've got a lot of momentum. But I think Deshaun Watson is uh, is just too talented to uh, fall at home in a playoff game to the Colts. And I also think the Chargers are going to beat the Ravens. Lamar Jackson is a great story. He's going to be, when he starts, assuming barring a weird injury at practice this week, he's going to be the youngest quarterback to ever start a playoff game when he starts against the Chargers this weekend. But I still think that uh, the Chargers are going to be able to get to him. The veteran Philip Rivers, even in a hostile, going to a hostile environment in Baltimore, is going to be able to uh, lead to a victory. So I've got the uh, Chargers and the Texans winning this week in the AFC. And then I have the Seahawks and Bears winning in the NFC. I still don't believe in the Cowboys. I think they got a little lucky playing in a division that didn't turn out to be anywhere near as good as people thought it was going to be. And then you've got... So I think the Seahawks will be able to get it done. They've been running the ball like crazy recently. And then, especially since we don't know the status of Nick Foles for the Eagles for next week, since he left the game today with a uh, rib injury, whether or not he'll be able to play on play this weekend, I think the Bears are going to be able to knock off the Eagles in what's going to be a very hostile environment at Soldier Field in Chicago. But... The big thing that stood out to me was not necessarily the teams that did make the playoffs, but the teams that didn't make the playoffs. One thing that I saw, I saw on uh, Twitter this evening is the six highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL, none of the six of them made the playoffs, right? Six highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL being in no particular order, um, Kirk Cousins, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Stafford, Matt... Uh, Matt Ryan. Matt, uh, Matt Ryan, Jimmy Garoppolo, and Derek Carr. Six highest paid quarterbacks in the NFL. None of them made the playoffs. So I don't, what that says, we've got a lot of young, hot shot quarterbacks coming up here who are leading the charge for a lot of these teams. And I think it also speaks to how much you handicap your team if you're paying your quarterback that much money in a salary cap league. You can't get as many good supporting pieces around it. And it really starts to, uh, to hurt you, you've got to do it with a quarterback that is uh, is going to sign team team friendly deals like Tom Brady or Drew Brees, who's going to take less money so the team could be good. Or you've got to do it where you have a young quarterback on their rookie contract who isn't making as much as he uh, as he probably could be in someone like uh, Pat Mahomes or uh, or Jared Goff, for example. Yeah, are really the two. Uh, two strategies you got to go with in the NFL in order to have long-term success. Speaking of which we'll see. Speaking of paying quarterbacks too much, um so the Vikings paid Kirk Cousins obviously too much, but now are they going to be looking for a new head coach next season? Do you think Zimmer will resign or do you think that the front office is fed up and they're going to fire him? Well, I don't think that Wick Spielman is going to the GM for the Vikings is going to get an opportunity to fire Mike Zimmer. If the ownership decides that Zimmer needs to go, they'll make that decision and Spielman will go with him. The ownership won't, uh, the ownership won't let Spielman pick another head coach. 
my what I could see happening is that I th- I think Zimmer will be around next year. I mean, I he hasn't been incredibly successful, but I think they'll give him another year. I don't think he'll get fired. There is a possibility. What he might do is he might step down to defensive coordinator and let somebody else take the head coaching vacancy. I could see that happening. It would be very unconventional. So it's not likely, but I could see it happening. But I don't think it's likely that Zimmer gets fired at all. I think he'll either resign slash step down to defensive coordinator or he'll be the head coach of this football team. I don't think he's going to get fired. I think he'll be on a very hot seat starting next year. But I think that he won't be fired. But we'll have to see what uh, Rick Spielman slash Ziggy Wolf have in mind for, for Mike Zimmer and the rest of this coaching staff coming up next year well really coming up black monday coming up here to see how many coaches get fired which we've had a lot of uh, already that we'll probably get into more next week about the coaches that we've had fired and who might replace them r.i.p todd bowles mm-hmm. dirt cutter anyway i think it's time for everyone's favorite segment of the week what do you guys think i'm ready i don't what segment said who's well, favorite segment what yeah, the Mike's what? Incredibly Awesome Wheels segment. Everyone's Mike, favorite. Kyle Mike's stupid with 2-0 rules? What? Well, Mike's I was excited awesome for rules. my favorite segment, Mike's Stupid Rules. Aha, uh-huh, wow. there you go. There you go. That wow. sounds, that sounds hey, right. Hey, you, ca- you called it your favorite segment, so I mean, I guess I'll take that. We got to take small steps. Anyway, what we're going with with the uh, Stupid Rules for the week is we're going to stick, we're going to switch to baseball. I got, got a little bit of baseball fever here, so we're going with a baseball rule. We're going to talk about... Probably the uh, least known of the seven ways for a batter to reach first base. So if you don't know about seven ways for a batter to reach first base, you should look that up. It's pretty cool. Cool base piece of baseball trivia. Probably the most obscure way is what's called catcher's interference. So what catcher's interference is, right, is if when the batter is swinging the bat, so when it's on their initial swing, if their bat hits... Normally it's the catcher's glove, or it could be any other piece of ca- of the catcher's equipment, but normally it's their glove. If the bat makes contact with the catcher's glove, the batter is awarded first base automatically on what's called catcher's interference. So it doesn't count on your backswing, right? You see it a lot when, you know, maybe on their backswing, the bat hits the catcher or something like that. That's not catcher's interference. It has to be on the true part of the swing if it no- catches the normally what is the catcher's glove if he's standing too close to the plate then it is uh, automatic awarding of first base to the batter, and the batter has uh, has reached first base on what is called catcher's interference. Does that make sense? Everyone, un- you understand catcher's interference, Kyle and Wyatt? Yeah, seems pretty simple, but you're definitely right. Yeah. It is uh, pretty obscure. But it's, it's obscure. It doesn't happen very often. I think I think Dustin Pedroia is currently the major league record holder for most uh, catcher's interference, and he's done it like 18 times over his career. He's reached on catcher's interference. It's Does kind, this kind mean, the same number. so like, hypothetically, if a batter already has two strikes and the third pitch is a strike, but catcher's interference is ruled, does that pitcher still have a strike counted against their stats? No. Yeah? Nope. It wouldn't, it, it's not a strikeout. The batter's awarded first pace. It's like the pitch has not been thrown because, right, the theory is the catcher's interference interfered with the hitter's ability to hit the ball. If you wouldn't hit the catcher's glove, maybe wouldn't have missed the ball. It wouldn't have been a strikeout. So it does not count as a strikeout. He would get first base instead. Gotcha. Cool. 
Cool. I think it's uh, that that time of the night, that time of the morning, whatever time you're listening to this, is to uh, move into write that down predictions and our accountability session that we've been lacking to get to because of our irregular uh, episode posting schedule, which we are now fixing. Yep, we have a really large accountability session today, so I'm going to uh, fly through them kind of quickly because I want to uh, not bore you. But basically all of our NFL uh, predictions for the year have come off the board, so I'm going to start firing through these. First one to come off the board was one from Josh that said the Packers will make the playoffs. That didn't happen, so he gets a nah. Next one from Wyatt, the Browns will make the playoffs. They came a lot closer than a lot of t- people would uh, thought they were going to, but they didn't, so for that he gets a nah. Thank you, Kyle. You were a little late on that, though. Uh, the next one to come off the board was from Josh. He said the Bears will go to the playoffs. That is correct. Looking on our chart, it says we gave Josh a single for that. So Josh gets a ding, 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 ding for that single. Next one off the board was that the Vikings will win the NFC North. That was predicted by me. Do you guys want to give me the buzzer for that one? Thank you. Um, the next one to come off the board was a prediction by Kyle. He predicted that the Chargers would finish with the second best record in the AFC to the Kansas City Chiefs. That did happen. So Kyle gets a ding 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 ding, ding, ding for that correct prediction. What was that a double or a single? Um Oh, I don't have that down on the sheet. I will have to go back and listen to that episode and come up with that and get that officially recorded. I can, I can find out. Give me one second. Sounds good. Go ahead and continue, Mike. All right. Um, the next one to come off the board was that the Big t- from Josh is that the Big 12 will win five out of their seven bowl games. West Virginia, Iowa State, and Oklahoma have all lost. So even though there are at least two Big 12 teams left to play, the uh, Josh gets a <laughs> for that prediction. Um, this prediction from Wyatt that at least two of the Cyclone Marching Band buses would break down on the uh, Alamo Bowl trip. We actually had no buses break down. We had a little bit of a scare at one point that bus five might break down, but uh, everything worked out there. So for that prediction, Wyatt gets a. <laughs> And uh, another one to come off the board was that from Josh is that the Packers will win out for that. Uh, obviously, they did not as they got absolutely destroyed on Sunday against the Lions. So they did not win out. And for that, Josh gets a <laughs> And uh, also coming off the board are all four of our write that down predictions that we had in our ball game special. Wyatt predicting that there would be a safety. Mike predicting that there would be a uh, two touchdowns from McKean Butler. Josh predicting that there would be a total of at least 60 points scored. And Kyle predicting that the Cyclone defense would get a fourth quarter stop, followed by a game-winning score from our offense. All of them are incorrect. So for all four of those, we get a... Uh, bring right, Kyle, you... Bringing it back to the, the the point totals for uh, the Chargers will finish with the second best record in the AFC from Kyle. We actually don't have a point point uh, thing yeah, written I, down I, for I, it, so I, we'll need to we'll need to yeah, bring that back. Go, back. go back and listen to that episode and figure out what we gave him. All right, 
Kyle, you want to lead us off with your write that down prediction for this week? All right. So my write that down prediction this week is that Pat Mahomes will throw 10 touchdown passes in the playoffs. 10? 10. Wow. Exactly. Or 10 or more? 10 or more. 10 or, what, 10 or, ten or more. more. Okay. okay. Not 10 exactly. Mm, I'm thinking ooh, triple for that, Wyatt. Because White, so f- to throw 10 touchdowns, he probably has to go to the Super Bowl to get enough games in to throw 10 touchdown passes, right? Because he ain't going to do it in one or two games, probably. <laughs> He's thrown that would six be insane in if he did, game, but not ten. Right, but he isn't going to throw ten in one game, and I doubt he's going to throw ten over the course of two games. So I think they have to go to the Super Bowl to do it, and he has to play phenomenally that whole time. I would give him a triple. I would agree with you. You're a uh, yeah triple definitely. All right, what do you got? I have that Josh will be the last person back to eighty three eleven after winter break. That's a bullcrap prediction. You get a single for that. <laughs> Low-hanging fruit. Give me you some get a points. For that. I had so many that came came off the board. I'm probably going to see there something. on Friday. <laughs> I'm also going to be back. Right. You, all three of us have to be back for pep band early, and Josh doesn't. <laughs> I know. That's that's awful. We all have to get back early, and Josh doesn't. That's he can still come back. Prediction. He can come back on Thursday or something. I am not ashamed at all. You should be I ashamed just, I just need some that. points, man. That's all I need. You should be safe. Need some points. What do you got, Mike? What do you got? All right. So we uh, talked about uh, some cyclone basketball earlier today. And my write that down prediction is that both the men's and women's teams for cyclone basketball will finish in the top four of the Big 12. Both the men and the women. What do you guys think about that? I let Kyle take this because I just messed something up. I guess well, I don't really know how the rest of the Big 12 stacks up for the women's side of things. Um, I think it's a very real possibility for the men's side. Um, but since there's two factors that play into it, I'm leaning towards a double. The, the Cyclones okay. women's team is playing amazing, though, aren't they? I, I'm definitely leaning towards a double as well because I can see it happening, but... I think both teams are it, it's playing not too outlandish. Too well to be at least five or worse. Okay, I'll take a double for that. I think that's fair. I'll take a double. And then Josh did not submit a prediction this week, so he does not have anything to write down, unfortunately. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe this is the conclusion of the write that down prediction segment which also means the conclusion of the episode thank you for listening to this week's episode of the 811 cast thank you for letting us bring all things sports to your beautiful ears tune in every monday for a new episode and subscribe to our feed on itunes spotify and google play find us on instagram at the 8311 cast signing off for the 8311 cast we have your three hosts kyle mersh mike ludwig and wyatt teeter thanks again for listening to us we'll talk to you next week Go Cyclones. Go Cyclones. We'll see you all tomorrow. Go Cyclones. Well, by tomorrow, see you next, I mean next week. week.